Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Feels like I haven't seen you in like mm, four days. I know. It does feel that way. Yeah. Hmm. We... Hmm. <laughs> Let's solve this mystery. Yeah, we went to Nashville this last weekend. It was so much fun. We did. We did. We, each of us, individually left our houses and did something and we did it together. So that was quite, quite a thing. I was like, where are you going with yeah. this? I, <laughs> I was not, I was like, I was there and I'm still not entirely sure what she's saying. But yeah, Nashville was really cool. It was a hop in place. I had no idea downtown would be quite as active as it was, but it was really cool. Yeah, it was really busy down there. There's a lot of really cool stuff to see, though, when you go down there. And uh, yeah, we had a really great time. Got to see some really cool things that Nashville is known for, like the Country Music Hall of Fame, which was amazing for me um, as a country music lover since my early childhood. Forever until the day I die, we'll be a country music fan. I don't care how much hate I get for that. I love it so much. So that was really cool um, to go and see. Yeah, it was great. It was a really fun time. And I'm super glad that we got to go. Podcast movement was really awesome and big. And yeah, the whole thing was just a really fun experience. It was. I gave myself like 25 minutes to find the area we were going to be talking in. And I needed like at least 18 of those minutes because I just got so lost because it's just such a 
big uh, convention. It was so cool, but it was just I, I don't have a good sense of direction. And since there's no McDonald's for somebody to tell me, like, turn left to the McDonald's, it's yeah. just like actual directions. I was like, oh, this is not going well. It was great. There was one point where I was looking for you and I saw on my phone that um, it said that you started sharing your location. Yes. With me, so I could just find you that way because there was no, there's no way to give directions to somebody um, in that uh, hotel. I figured that would be the I was like, ah, this is the one time I can use this. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, you went to the Grand Old Opry. I did the tour of the Grand Old Opry and I told my daughter who I thought would be like, I think it was cool that we went to the Grand Old Opry, but it was country music and it's so difficult for me to have somebody that lives in my home besides my husband who is not a country music fan. So I always appreciate how much you enjoy it because for me, it's like I, I'm the odd man out in my house. Yeah. I'm the only one that likes it. It's so bizarre and unappreciated and feels very aggressive. Yeah. And I feel like country music listeners and like people who enjoy country music, they do get a lot of hate. It's one of those... I don't know. You either love country music or you think it's terrible. And a lot of people think it's terrible. Not me. I love it. <laughs> I, like I would have liked if that sentence ended there. That's how my daughter would have ended it. And a lot of people hate country music. Yeah, but really nice, really cool city. If you haven't been, that is a really, it was a really neat place to have gone. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So before we get in the episode this week, we wanted to make a quick announcement. And I know if you guys are like me, whenever I listen to podcasts that say they make announcements, I'm like, this is the one when they stop doing it. I just know it. I know it. that's <laughs> not it. <laughs> we are looking to add a new thing, a new fun thing to our Patreon. Right now, you know, we have the bonus episodes, we have the ad-free episodes, uh, certain tiers you get a coffee mug, all that kind of stuff. But what we're looking to do is next month, I think, our Patreon for September, uh, we are going to do it on video, which is not something we normally do. So we thought we would do that. Yeah. So if you join Patreon now, um, this month, we will grandfather you in for next month. I think we're going to do the $5 tier and up. So if that's, if you were on the fence about it and would like to see our faces for some reason, um, you can do that it's a lot of us using our hands and like eyes popping out and stuff like that that's mostly it or seeing us drink water (laughs) that's about it over and over again yeah over and over and over again yeah so if you want to see that that's where that will be and like I said uh we're going to grandfather anybody in that's already there yeah and I'm super excited about it it's something different that we have not really ventured into and I'm really excited to see um, how we do on video. So yeah, we're going to be doing that on Patreon and I'm super stoked. Yes. And it's not a ton of fun to edit. So you'll get to see a lot of bloopers because of my laziness. And uh, that's just going to be how it is. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the real treasures anyway. So yeah, if you haven't, it's at patreon.com slash moms and murder podcast. We had a lot of people join like two months ago. Um, so if you uh, wanted to be one of them, go ahead and sign up. Awesome. All right. We'll see you over there on Patreon. Uh, And we're just going to really get right into the episode for this week, I think. That was a lot of talking about our trip to Nashville. Wait. Yeah. And et cetera. It was Nashville, et cetera. Yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. So we'll move right along and get right into the episode for this week. It was around 4.40 in the afternoon on June 24th, 1992, when Shinji Wakabayashi received a call at work from his 12-year-old daughter, Elisa. After waiting for two hours to be picked up from school, Elisa was calling to say that her mom, Gladys, had not come to get her that day. Elisa tried to reach her mom first, but when she couldn't get in touch with her, she called her dad for help. Shinji left his office and drove to Elisa's school to pick her up and take her home. Shinji and Gladys had been separated for over a year, and they were soon to be finalizing their divorce. 
They had been together for about 14 years before deciding to part ways, and Elisa was living full-time with her mom Gladys in Vancouver, British Columbia. Shinji and Elisa arrived at the home at around 5.30 that evening and found that the back door of the home was strangely unlocked. Shinji recognized that this was odd for Gladys, so before he left his daughter there, he wanted to check things out around the house and make sure that everything was okay. Shinji made his way around and towards the bedrooms. As he turned the corner into the master bedroom, a shocking scene began to unfold. What Shinji saw was horrific. The mother of his child, 41-year-old Gladys Wakabayashi, was laying face up in front of the dressing area in the ensuite between the bathroom and the bedroom itself. She had been cut deeply across her neck and had visible wounds to her arms, legs, chest, and upper abdomen, as well as defensive injuries to her hands. It appeared as though Gladys's attacker had tried to decapitate her. The question immediately became, what happened and who did this? Gladys Wakabayashi was born in 1951 in Taiwan. She was the third child of Y.S. Mao, who was a chairman of Union Petrochemical Corporation and Lianhua Industrial Corps, both Taiwanese companies. Gladys's father was a billionaire who was known as the Flower King, and that's flour like, hey, let's bake bread with some flour and not flour like the White Lotus. Have you watched White Lotus on HBO Max? I'm super obsessed with it right now. What do you have think, you heard Lisa? of you White think? Lotus on HBO Max? <laughs> no, I have not. <laughs> okay, it's good. It's like a comedy drama. I actually think you would really like it. It's it, it's fun. It's a fun watch, but kind I'm of writing it creepy. down right now. Okay, <laughs> honestly, on the real list, not on the one that just is to you know make me feel better. It's really good. Okay, back to the story. So he was the flower king uh, of baking goods. That flower. So Gladys was always described as being a very kind and compassionate person who was very well liked by those who knew her. She loved music and working with children, and one of her favorite things to do was to teach children how to play music. It's something that she really didn't do for the money. She just really had a passion for it. In 1976, Gladys traveled to Canada to study piano, and in 1978, she married Shinji, and they had their daughter, Elisa. Years later, the home that she had shared with Shinji and their daughter, Elisa, was the very place that this terrible crime scene took place. Gladys' murder at this crime scene was a complete violent rage. There was blood on the walls and carpet where her body was found, and there was a clear struggle between Gladys and her attacker in a confined space between the two walk-in closets. It was there that they found blood pooling and bloodstained patterns. More blood drops were found in the bathroom, and a partial shoe print was found within the stains. This shoe print appeared to be from a woman's high heel shoe with a pointed toe and a honeycomb pattern on the sole. Officers took fingerprints from the house to use in forensic testing later, but through the initial investigation, it wasn't very long before they uncovered a potential motive for this killing. It appeared as though Gladys had been involved in a relationship with a married man, and that his wife had found out about this affair just a few days prior to Gladys's murder. The object of Gladys's affection was a man by the name of Derek James. Derek was an air traffic controller, but more importantly, he was married to one of Gladys's good friends, Jean and James. Jean and Gladys first met in 1985 because their kids attended the same school, and the James family became close friends with the Wakabayashi family. This, of course, was long before Gladys and Shinji split up, which was in 1991. 
After Shinji and Gladys separated, Jean started to wonder if her husband, Derek, was having an affair with someone else, but of course, never would have expected that it was Gladys. In June of 1992, Jean and Derek were having some serious relationship struggles. Their son was 12 years old at this time, and they lived in Richmond, British Columbia, which is near Vancouver. Jean began finding it hard to ignore the suspicions she was having about her husband's potential affair. So that summer, she confided in a custodian at her son's school about these concerns. So this custodian let Jean borrow their car so that she could follow Derek around and not be detected. So I'm not really sure if Jean was already friends with this person and they just happened to be the school custodian or what the deal was there because just a random school, you know, custodian seems like a strange person to involve in this Well, random anyone at this school, it doesn't, like, it seems to me very bizarre that you would even want to rope somebody in this and to share this with somebody that's not, like, a longtime friend or your therapist or something like that, but to be like, some guy I work with, let me use his car because I'm tracking my husband who's having an affair. That that is a little different. Yeah, that's a lot of information for um, anybody who's at your child's school, definitely. Right. So around this same time, during the early summer of 1992, Derek went out of town on business and his wife, Jean, was inquiring with one of his co-workers regarding his whereabouts. This co-worker told Jean that Derek had gone to Toronto that weekend, but that wasn't really the truth. Derek already got ahead of this and had told his co-worker ahead of time that if his wife called asking questions to tell her he was in Toronto, but in reality, he told his co-worker that he was going to actually see a woman he was having an affair with in Quebec. Again, people just sharing all the details of their lives with their co-workers and everybody else. It's just crazy to me. Do we Um, not have a journal we can write this stuff down in? (laughs) Right. So Derek really was going to Quebec on business for this trip, but he just had plans to see this other woman while he was there as well. And he instructed his co-worker to lie for him in the event that Jean called, and she did. So Jean took things one step further, and she continued to dig deeper. She asked another friend of hers, who happened to be a subcontractor for a research company, if he could get phone records for Derek for that weekend that he was allegedly in Toronto. She was able to get her hands on a copy of the bill from the hotel where Derek actually stayed, and she noticed that the bill included a list of calls made or received from the room. Two of those calls were to the phone number for the Wakabayashi residence, meaning Jean knew that her husband Derek had, for some reason, contacted her friend Gladys while he was away in this hotel room. To be sure that this was really what was going on, Jean tried to confirm who was it at the Wakabayashi house that Derek spoke to that weekend. So she asked Shinji if it was him that Derek talked to, and Shinji told her it was. But little did Jean know, that was also a lie. Gladys already had gotten ahead of that and spoke to Shinji, who is her soon-to-be ex-husband, and asked him to lie for her if Jean asked about this specific situation. And Shinji agreed to to lie for her. But make no mistake, Derek did call and speak to Gladys that weekend, not Shinji. And we're going to get into more details of this story after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. This past weekend, we had a wonderful time in Nashville, but I made a cardinal mistake. I decided to walk from my hotel room to the conference room and back in a brand new pair of shoes. 
By the time I was back in my room, blisters had already begun forming on the back of my heels, which is something I've never had to worry about in my Rothy's. Rothy's makes the most comfortable shoes I've ever owned, and guess what? When I was back in my room, I immediately switched to my Rothy's and enjoyed walking all around Nashville for the rest of the weekend in both style and comfort. My husband knows how much I love my Rothy's tennis shoes in steel gray and has been asking if Rothy's would ever make a men's shoe. Well, today is his lucky day. Rothy's has newly launched a men's shoe design that's intentionally designed with an artisanal level of detail and, like my shoes, are created with nearly zero waste. And also like my Rothy's, their men's line has shoes that are durable and washable as well as better for the planet. Plus, they've gone through the rigorous testing during research and development, which results in a perfect fit wash after wash. Rothy's has such a huge array of designs and styles like their flats, loafers, and sneakers. They even have sandals that are perfect for these summer days. They also have spacious and washable bags that are great for those summer weekend getaways. Whatever it is, Rothy's knows you want style, comfort, and durability. But one of my favorite features is that I'm able to throw my shoes into the washing machine and they come out looking just as good as new every time. I've had my Rothy's for over two years now and they are still my go-to shoe and since I can easily wash them are showing none of the wear and tear that I'm actually putting them through. Step up your summer wardrobe with washable, sustainable, stylish shoes and bags from Rothy's. Head to rothys.com moms to find your new warm weather favorites today. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash moms. You know when you're in the middle of planning a trip and all you can think is, if I can just get to my destination, then I can relax? Thanks to Apple Vacations, the only stress you'll have when planning your big trip is which shoes to pack. Apple Vacations are known as America's favorite vacation company, and for good reason. They're your new go-to shop for that next-level summer vacation. Apple Vacations takes the work out of the vacation for you by planning your entire getaway with confidence from start to finish. And the all-inclusive Apple Vacations package includes things like round-trip airfare, hotel accommodations, drinks, meals, entertainment, and tips. You can also get nonstop transfers included at no additional cost at select hotels, making your entire vacation as seamless as possible. I can't wait to plan my family's next vacation with Apple Vacations. And by I can't wait to plan, I mean actually have Apple Vacations plan it for me. That way I know my vacation planning is taken care of by professionals whose job it is to literally do this. Plus, you can choose from amazing destinations like Mexico, the Caribbean, Central America, Hawaii, as well as the continental U.S. For a limited time, you can take $75 off your stay at Live Aqua located in Cancun or Punta Cana with promo code SAN75. Go to applevacations.com slash moms-murder to get this steal of a deal to your favorite live aqua in Cancun or Punta Cana today. And now back to the episode. So before the break, we were talking about this weird game of telephone that everyone in this story is playing and denying one person's answering the phone at somebody's house and saying that somebody's in a different town than they actually are. The most unlikely people to lie for you are lying for you in these stories. Right? (laughs) You've got a custodian at your kid's school. You've got your ex-husband. I mean, there's a random coworker. Lots of people are telling lots of stories to cover up this affair that's going on. So two days later, on June 24th, Gladys drove her 12-year-old daughter, Elisa, to school, and by 9 a.m., she was back home, and she was seen in her garage by an eyewitness. As per her usual schedule, Gladys was supposed to attend a piano lesson at 10.30 that morning, but she never showed up. The piano teacher actually tried calling Gladys, but she just got her answering machine. The day passed, and it wasn't until no one showed up to get Elisa from school that Shinji made that devastating discovery. Newspapers in Gladys's native Taiwan really sensationalized the story, and they printed these articles stating that Gladys's heart had been cut out and that her head was even cut off. 
neither of which was true. When investigators on the case realized the connection between Gladys and Derek and learned that Jean recently had found out about this affair, they immediately wanted to speak to both of them. Police found out that Derek had a history of affairs, but that this one was particularly different because it was with one of his wife's actual friends. He told police that he allegedly didn't have a physical affair going on with Gladys, but that there was definitely an emotional one going on. Copies of Derek's phone records for the time between May 25th to June 14 were obtained. These records showed that Derek was charged for six calls to Gladys's home, with the calls ranging in duration from 8 to 42 minutes. They also found a voicemail on Gladys's phone from Derek where he was calling her love and darling, and at the end of the message, he told her not to call him back. But this wasn't the only thing that made Derek and Jean suspects. Gladys's daughter, Elisa, told officers that two days before her mom was killed on June 22nd, she saw Jean at their house in Gladys's room. The phone started ringing, so Elisa went over to answer it, and Jean immediately started asking if that was Derek calling, right? So this would be at the Wakabayashi house, and their phone is ringing, and Elisa, who's 12 years old, is trying to answer it, and Jean is in her home and is shouting, you know, is that Derek? Is that my husband Derek? So the daughter is telling the police Whoa. about this um, experience that they had two days before her mom was killed. So this was really an interesting bit of information, but Jean had already told the police about going over to their house on that day. So she told them that her fingerprints would likely be found in and around the house from that visit. Was that a coincidence or was that just a good cover? They would have to figure that out. So the police kept on digging. They felt there was still more to look into. It was learned that four days after Gladys was killed, Jean went to visit Shinji and asked him for details about Gladys's death, such as how she was killed, how her body was found, etc., etc. Shinji told Jean that he really couldn't explain much, but he saw Gladys lying on her back with a cut on her neck. A friend of Jean's named Sandra told officers that the relationship between Jean and Derek was always stormy, and they'd constantly struggled with his infidelity throughout their marriage. She said Jean was very hurt, angry, and resentful over his behavior, and she told officers that Jean even mentioned Gladys by name pretty often when talking about Derek's affairs. A few weeks after the murder, on July 10th, police conducted a search at Jean and Derek's home. They were looking for a few items, but one of them was a pair of shoes that could be a match to the print they found in the bathroom at Gladys's. They never did find any such shoe at their home. Officers also took a piece of carpet from Jean's car, but nothing ever came of that either. For a period of time, officers even surveilled Jean, and they arrested and questioned her formally in July of 1992. But Jean refused to speak without an attorney, and by October of 1992, the police still didn't have any additional witnesses or evidence in the case. It was decided that they just didn't have enough to charge Jean with any crime, and the case went cold. Following Gladys's death, instead of going to live with her father, Elisa moved in with Gladys's brother, who happened to live next door to them at the time of the murder. Her uncle and his wife decided it would be best for them all to move back to Taiwan to get away from all of the bad memories, so that's what they did. Over a decade's passed, and there were no new developments in this case. But in 2007, the Integrated Unsolved Homicide Unit reviewed Gladys's murder and determined that they would use what's known as a Mr. Big Sting to try and determine Jean's involvement, if any, in Gladys's death. 
So what is a Mr. Big sting operation? I'm excited about this. I know. Well, it's <laughs> not from Sex and the City. We know that. Mr. Big and that one is a different person. So it's an operation that's done by the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Um, and it was invented back in the 90s. So this sting involves many undercover agents who spend months gaining the suspect's trust. So over the course of this process, the undercover agents make it subtly obvious that they are part of this like larger criminal organization. So if the suspect that they're actually trying to catch shows interest in joining this fake crime organization, they start giving them these little small jobs like delivering packages. And as the suspect does bigger jobs and kind of rises in the ranks of this organization, they start to hear about this boss, Mr. Big. Again, no relation to uh, Carrie Bradshaw. When the time is right, the agent tells the suspect that they can be promoted within the organization after a meeting with Mr. Big in which they must confess their criminal past, whether it be big or small. This is so involved that it's just incredible to me that they do all of this. Who pitched this? Who said, we are going to do something that's going to take us months and months and months, and at the end of it, there's Mr. Big is at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's a great, I can see how it could be a good idea if it could be, but it could also get you nowhere or, you know, result in some really bad things happening, which yeah. does happen. So the meeting, of course, this confession, this final confession with Mr. Big is obviously recorded or what's the point of this whole thing? So if the suspect actually confesses to the crime, then they are arrested. And so this is a massive operation, as you can imagine. It takes place over months, and sometimes the suspect isn't even guilty and they don't get a confession, but it still helps the police to weed out possible suspects. So this technique has resulted in as many as 400 arrests and has a 75 to 95% success rate. But as you can imagine, it also costs a lot of money to pull off. They say it costs about $15,000 per case, and this practice is controversial. Doesn't this seem really low, $15,000? Yeah, for months and months of, of this operation, that does seem low to me. That's actually cheaper than I would expect. Yeah, that I would think like a day or something. I mean, because these things, are, it's so many people that are involved, and they're meeting at different places, and there's hotel rooms, and there's all this stuff, like – $15,000 actually makes it sound like a good deal, but yeah. it's super controversial. So most countries have outlawed similar methods because it falls in the category of what could be considered entrapment. I can totally see that. Yeah. Whenever I was reading over this, I made a note in our like Word document that Mandy and I share, and it reminded me of this story that is going through appeals now. It's um, a case in Canada, of course, and it's about these two guys with Sebastian Burns and his friend Atif Rafi. And Atif's uh, family had been murdered, his mom, his dad, and his sister. And they went through this whole Mr. Big sting operation, and that's how they ended up being arrested. They eventually confessed during this, and now it's going through all kinds of appeals and stuff because they said basically if they didn't um, do this, they never had a case against them. This was the wow. whole case. They wouldn't have even gone to trial. So anyway, that's – Obviously, there have been some things that have come of these uh, Mr. Big Sting operations that haven't gone um, haven't gone very well. And there's been some false confessions, as you can imagine, with something like this. Yeah, that sounds like an interesting one uh, to think about uh, maybe for a later episode. It is, yeah. However, this is a legal means of investigation in Canada. So back in December of 2007, this operation began on Jane James to observe her habits and her interests. 
In January of 2008, Jean was introduced to Detective, who was called Detective A, to us. Obviously, she would have figured something out if she met somebody named Detective A (laughs) and been like, well, I'm not doing this. And he was posing as a member of a criminal organization. So this detective spends months trying to gain Jean's trust, and by April, he's managed to convince her to commit multiple like of these staged and fake crimes with him. Again, why I think this is more than $15,000. Yeah, I know. So I have questions about how do they get this person in the suspect's life. Yes, I will answer life. them. Go ahead. Right? Like, how do they get the suspect in I don't know how do they just get into their lives like that? Like how because I I don't often just meet new people and be like, yeah, let's just no. be buddy buddy and now I'm gonna spend the next several months telling you like my entire life story, even though I've never met you before and we're both adults. Like that just doesn't seem like a thing that really happens. So I would immediately be suspicious if some random person just struck up a conversation with me and was like, Let's be friends. If someone wants to be my friends, I'm immediately <laughs> Does that make us <laughs> nervous? Does that make us sound like Weird to say, like, we're suspicious. If you immediately Um, want to be our friend, we are very suspicious. I don't trust anyone that wants to be my friend. And if they really want to be my friend, I definitely don't trust them. I like to think of this as sort of like a meet cute, like, where they're in the grocery store and they both go to reach for a cucumber at the same time. And then (laughs) (laughs) crimes come in after that. Like, you know what? They're basically robbing us for. Yeah. They're like, the price of these cucumbers, that's practically robbery. And then next thing you know, they're stealing cucumbers and. On their Mr. way to Big a confession, yeah. <laughs> With your new friend, Detective A. So anyway, the incentives to carry out these crimes, though, are financial as well as this promise that Jean's son would have opportunities in acting. This is my favorite part of the story, that she's like, I'm willing to steal all the cucumbers you have right. if my son <laughs> can be an actor. I I guess it's expensive, huh? Acting, putting your kids through acting school. Hey, she was really hustling. What in the community theater heck is going on here? Because (laughs) I I just feel like that's kind of an interesting thing. That's such an interesting side note to me in this whole story to be like, no, I committed crime. I stole these cucumbers for you. Right. Now you go on and you be Tom Hanks. So anyway, they also tell Jean, though, that she's going to have security from this organization. So once Jean proved herself to be willing to do really anything, Detective A said he would introduce Jean to Mr. Big, who is played by Sergeant, you guessed it, B. B. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll be right back into the story after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. There's never been a better time to take care of yourself than now. Whether something in your life is interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, the licensed professional therapists with BetterHelp want to help you become the best you this year. BetterHelp is professional counseling that you can do right from the comfort of your home through weekly video or phone sessions. I've used BetterHelp over the past few years, and I can't tell you what a relief it is just to get all my thoughts out to a professional without ever having to leave the house. I deal with anxiety and depression and have most of my adult life, so just having someone I can talk through with different scenarios or those immediate big problems that pop up in life has been really invaluable, especially this last year. Of course, anything you share with your BetterHelp counselor is completely confidential, and best of all, BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling. Financial aid is also available. Whether you're struggling with family issues, sleep, stress, or more, BetterHelp will match you with your own licensed professional therapist and you can start communicating with them in under 24 hours. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. 
We want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com moms. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash moms. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned my family's newest member, our sweet and sassy GSP puppy, Lila. She is fast approaching her first birthday now, which means she's not a baby anymore. And instead of snuggling on the couch with me all the time, now she wants to run. She wants to explore and bark at all the fun birds flying overhead. I wanted Lila to have a little freedom and independence in our large yard, but much like I can be a helicopter mom, I can also be a helicopter pet mom. That's why when it comes to keeping Lila safe, happy, and secure, I knew the Halo collar was the only collar I would use. Halo is the only smart system with a collar that trains, tracks, and protects your dog so they can safely run free. We've been using our Halo collar and the training program it comes with for a couple of weeks now, and we've been amazed at how well Lila has responded to it. Being able to set invisible fences and create boundaries within our yard means Lila has more room to birdwatch, and I don't have to worry about her wandering too far or into a dangerous area like the road or into the woods. I thought it would take a while before she figured out where her boundaries were, but after just a couple of days, she was already getting the hang of it and automatically staying within the boundaries. And since I'm still a worrier by nature, Halo has my back with GPS tracking that works without cell service or Wi-Fi, so I know that if Lila ever did get separated from me, it wouldn't be long before I found her. Take advantage of this special limited time introductory offer today. Save 20% on your Halo Collar by going to shophalocollar.com slash moms. That's shophalocollar.com slash moms to save 20%. You must go to this site to get this offer, and it can only be gotten here. Shophalocollar.com slash moms. Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. And now back to the episode. 
So before the break, we were just explaining the process of this Mr. Big Sting operation and how they were applying this to this case against Gene and James. The sting operation took over a year to complete, and Gene participated in over 90 fake criminal activities during that time with this undercover officer. These crimes that Jean thought she was actually committing included money laundering, negotiating for fraudulent credit cards, and transporting vehicles. So she was willing to go pretty far in the crime world. Um, Money laundering is pretty serious, so she really was not kidding that she was willing to do things. Uh, So in another activity, the officer brought Jean with him to witness a simulated kidnapping and beating of a person that owed the gang $300,000, and they said he needed to be taught a lesson. Instead of being absolutely horrified by this, you know, watching a human being be beaten, Jean right. commented that the victim actually got off easy in her opinion. She went on to make statements to the effect that she was willing to injure, kill, and otherwise become violent and even torturous. Jean told Detective A that she had no conscience and she was willing to do anything. On November 28, 2008, it was finally time for Jean to meet Mr. Big, played by another undercover agent. They were to meet at the Hotel Intercontinental in Montreal. Their meeting took about an hour and 40 minutes, during which time Mr. Big told Jean that she had the chance to participate in a crime that would come with a very hefty reward of about $700,000 that would be split among those who participated. Mr. Big told Jean that if she wanted to participate, she had to come clean about her involvement in Gladys's murder. And then Mr. Big pulled out this newspaper article from 1992 and told Jean to tell him everything. And boy, did she have a lot to tell. Jean began by saying, quote, Gladys was a lady, a friend of mine. She was screwing around with my husband. Jean admitted that she did a lot of digging and snooping to find out about this affair. And when she did, she was absolutely furious. Mr. Big asked Jean what she did next and what happened, and she told him that she decided she wasn't going to put up with any of this anymore. She wasn't going to take the poor treatment from Derek, and she wasn't going to let her friend Gladys steal her husband from her either. Mr. Big then asked Jean directly. He referred to the article he brought, and he said, quote, according to this paper, you went and killed her. Basically, is that wrong or right? And Jane replied, right. The undercover officer continued this conversation, hoping to get as much information as possible. He asked her, you did that? You didn't get someone else to do it? And Jean said no, she had done it herself. She asked Mr. Big if they could keep this conversation between the two of them and said that she had never told anybody about this before, not even her husband, Derek, who apparently was extremely upset when Gladys died. Mr. Big agreed not to tell anybody else, and then he asked more questions. Jean started sharing more and more details with him about what happened that night. She said that she confronted Gladys about the affair and told her that she found out about the hotel phone calls. Gladys allegedly laughed in Jean's face, and that's when Jean said she slit Gladys's throat. Mr. Big kept pressing for more, and he said, I need to know that I can trust you. So you slit her throat, and what else? Jean then said that she wanted more information out of Gladys, so she tried to get her to talk by cutting her other places before cutting her throat. She said that Gladys had been her friend for five years, and she couldn't believe that she would have an affair with her husband and that either one of them would do this to her. Mr. Big then asked Jean if there was a possibility that her DNA could have been left at the crime scene. And Jean said, quote, I was very sneaky about it. Gladys thought I was giving her a surprise, and we were upstairs. 
She was sitting in her closet and I was going to show her this necklace. And so she had her back to me and I had put gloves on then, end quote. Jane said that she then pretended to put the necklace around Gladys's neck, but instead she used a cord from Gladys's sweater to mimic the necklace. And that's when Jane slit her throat. Gladys fell to the floor and told Jean she was sorry. Jean said that she told Gladys to tell her the truth and that she would call an ambulance if she did. Jean tried to get Gladys to admit how long the affair had been going on and other questions related to the details of the affair. She used the knife and stabbed Gladys multiple times to get the answers to these questions. After Jean slit Gladys's throat, she left her there. She said she didn't use a knife in the murder, but instead had a box cutter that she had brought with her, and then she disposed of it in a dumpster where people dumped metal for recycling. She then took the clothes that she was wearing and threw them in the incinerator at her son's school. Jean said that she had got into Gladys's house by parking five blocks away and walking through alleyways to avoid being seen on the main street, and then she later traded in the car she was driving on the day of the murder. Mr. Big asked a few questions about Gladys's marriage to Shinji, and Jane replied, quote, she divorced her husband so she could screw around with mine, end quote. Mr. Big, who's still playing along, said, quote, well, she sort of got what she had coming, right, end quote. Jane said, quote, from my point of view, she did, yes, end quote. On December 12, 2008, Jean Ann James was arrested at the age of 69 and charged with first-degree murder 16 years after the fact. It took a few years to get everything ready for trial, and it wasn't until October 12, 2011 that it finally began. At this point, Jean was 72 years old. Whoa. Yeah. Prosecutors said that Jean killed Gladys because she believed she was having an affair with her husband, Derek. The entire case, like you talked about with this other case that you mentioned earlier, was based on the confession that they obtained as a result of this Mr. Big Sting operation. So the main issue at the trial was the question over the reliability of this confession. But prosecutors said the confession had no conflicts and was consistent with already known facts in the case. They said there were safeguards used to avoid obtaining false confessions in these types of sting operations. And these safeguards included a repetitive theme of trust, honesty, and loyalty impressed upon members of this fictitious criminal organization, the existence of corroborating physical evidence, the use of holdback evidence, which is what is known when they don't release certain details of the right. crime to the public. Only the killer would know these details. And uh, the electric recording of scenarios, either with audio, video, or both. So they're saying these are the safeguards they have in place to prevent false confessions. Uh, but in this case, there was no physical evidence to corroborate the confession, nor was there any holdback evidence due to the media coverage that took place in 1992 when the crime happened. However, they were able to rely on video and audio recordings, as well as the ongoing theme of trust that they established with Gene. The defense thought that Jean's confession was completely unreliable and said that it was merely a performance. They said she really wanted to make a lot of money working for the criminals because it was her dream for her son to land a movie role. They said her whole confession was inconsistent and unreliable, as we said, and that she changed her story or said things that didn't actually happen on several occasions during this meeting with Mr. Big. One example was that Jean said that she put her clothes in the school incinerator, but they found out that there was no incinerator even at the school. Mm. Yeah. Another example was that Jean alleged that she never went into Gladys's bathroom, but that wouldn't explain how the shoe print got in there. The defense said the details about the shoe proved that Jean wasn't really the killer and that she didn't know the real killer went into the bathroom. Otherwise, she would have mentioned that during this fake you know, story that she was right. giving. 
Prosecutors asserted that by the time the police tried to find the shoe in Jean's house on July 10th, she had already disposed of it along with all the other clothing she was wearing. They also pointed out that the shoe print was found at the entrance to the bathroom, so it could be true that she didn't go into the bathroom. The defense claimed that, quote, none of the usual safeguards to ensure reliability were present in Jean's confession. They specifically pointed to the lack of holdback evidence. Back when the murder happened, the police told the media the nature of Gladys's injuries and publicly stated that it was likely she knew her killer because of the unlocked back door and that Gladys had a secret lover who was married and that the murder weapon was a knife. Basically, they released everything that yeah. somebody would need to know to make a false confession. The defense wanted to say that the police did not pursue other suspects such as the Chinese mafia, a plumber, and Jean's husband, Derek, but the judge refused to allow it because he didn't feel that any of that was relevant. On November 4th, 2011, Jean was convicted of first-degree murder and she was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. All of her appeals since then have been denied. According to a prison report, Derek and their son Adam believe that Jean is innocent and that she was tricked into confessing to the murder. In 2015, Jean petitioned for private visits with Derek and Adam and she was denied. The judge told her that she needed to listen to the authorities who were trying to rehabilitate her and that she should take responsibility for her actions. The judge said that letting her husband and son believe she was innocent wasn't okay. The judge said, quote, instead of following this advice, Jean has come to the court in an attempt to sidestep the recommendations of the professionals involved with incarceration and reintegration. She would prefer to use the legal system to avoid the programming which the professionals say she needs, end quote. I take issue with this a little bit. Yeah. Because yeah. Tell me more. first of all, she did not get arrested for 16 years right after the crime has already happened. So clearly she didn't reoffend. She didn't go on and become a serial killer, right, and kill a whole bunch of people after this. Right. So for the judge saying, like, she needs to have this um, rehabilitation programming and, like, that the professionals say she needs this and she can't see her family and have visits with them and stuff. And even using this language, oh, she's trying to sidestep what the professional said. Well, that's what the legal system is for. There's nothing wrong with her going back into court and trying to change things in her own favor. That's what the legal system right. is there for. So I kind of felt rubbed the wrong way a little bit by the way this judge worded this and said, you know, how like basically how dare you come into court and try to sidestep the recommendations. Like that's what people do when they're in, in prison and they try to get around it. I mean, that's that's like the whole yeah. point of the system. I just thought it was a little odd. And for that reasoning, like she clearly wasn't a violent, you know, reoffender over the years. So I, I just – I didn't know if I liked that. And I yeah. feel like it falls more into a crime of passion where it wasn't like she was just finding a victim. You know what I mean? Like just right. it wasn't at random. It was somebody she was involved with. Not excusing any of the things that no. she, you know, confessed to do, however that confession went. But yeah, but the judge saying that it's kind of just bizarre to me anyway. Like, of course, she's going to say if she said that she didn't commit the crime, why is she going to then tell her? son and husband that she did it that doesn't make any right. sense of course she's not going to and how are you going to rehabilitate her she's in her 70s not that you can't be rehabilitated in your 70s but what's the not what's the point but like she's if she gets out of jail what's she gonna do there's right. not a whole lot she can do and what's the harm in letting her see her family if they want to see her and she wants to see them like i I don't know. I don't get where that even – is that an – I would like to know, is that a normal thing in Canada? Right. Because yeah. that's kind of interesting to me. I didn't – it just seems kind of out of place from what I've heard before. Could be wrong, though. A report that was done that recommended private visits be denied said, quote, 
Jean can be volatile when angry, and she has allegedly been observed throwing things at her husband in a state of rage. File information also indicated Jean's husband stayed in the marital relationship as he was afraid of her. That is, he was scared to leave her, end quote. Jean's husband denied any allegation that she was violent. Other allegations against Jane included, quote, contracting out violence, end quote, against other inmates, as well as, quote, interfering with fellow prisoners' food, end quote. Which, oh, no. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Give me access to honey buns when I'm there. Don't take those for me. So one jail employee claimed that Jean may be an escape risk because she once inquired about getting a fake passport, which is a weird thing to ask an employee, but also right. <laughs> a weird thing to talk to your son's custodian at a school. So I, I don't know where she's talking to these people. They worried, though, that if she was allowed to have private visits, that she'd use them as an opportunity to escape and to try to spend time with her family before she dies. <laughs> well, I'm sure that would actually be what she was trying to do if she exactly. was trying to escape. I don't think she's got – I don't think she thinks she's really working for Mr. Big. Right. So <laughs> she is not eligible for parole until she's 94 years old. So the likelihood of her getting out before them is really slim. That same employee that said she was a flight risk also said, however, quote, the likelihood of her successfully scaling the fence and evading perception, in quote, was low. No kidding. <laughs> feels aggressive, and that would be the worst thing they could have said about me. Like, well, you can't even <laughs> scale the wall. <laughs> like, like, all where right, are you going to go? Yeah. <laughs> I know. As far as we can tell, though, Jean is still alive, and she would be 81 years old today. Wow, what a story. I really was so fascinated with the Mr. Big Sting stuff, and I don't know how I feel about it, honestly. I actually am just very surprised they're still doing it because especially in the States, we talk about wrongful convictions a lot and that comes up more and more. I can't remember the percentage. I saw Amanda Knox tweeting about it. It could have been as much as 1% of people in prison could be wrongfully convicted. Wow. And a lot of those are, um, I, don't quote me on that. There's an actual statistic and I will try and find it. But a lot of those are false confessions. And to me, getting her trust in with them, like to get her to be so like willing to work with them and to make them happy and she's trying to get her son this acting career which again is really one of the more difficult parts of this for me to even comprehend right uh, like uh, it doesn't it doesn't seem that crazy to me that she would be like all right well if i got to work with this guy he has this information maybe it'll give me credibility that doesn't seem crazy to me i don't think that seems crazy either to me i can totally see how she would make it up and be like yeah i mean cuz you know, especially if he had this article, I could see how she would just go along with it and be like, yeah, I had something to do with that. Right. You know, and just like you said, to give herself credibility and to if she's thinking that she's earning their trust by confessing that she's done something terrible, mm -hmm. um, even though she hasn't really. I don't know. I don't know whether she did or did not, but I don't know how I feel about this confession landing her life in prison and no visits with her husband and son. I think yeah. that's a little I don't know. Yeah, I. I the confession on its own, I just don't see how that stands, especially in the way that they got it from her. But I, I don't know. I don't I can't say, oh, well, because of that, she didn't do it. I don't know. But I don't know that there was enough evidence if that's all they were pointing to to convict her. All right, Melissa, are we ready to turn the page and move on to our last thing before we go for this week? Yes. Um, here's what we're doing. <laughs> okay. I always I love it when like it starts I've... off that way. <laughs> I know. I'm not even sure of it. I feel like I've named something this before, but if not, we're just going with it. The story this week took place in Canada. So we're doing Canada do, Canada don't. Did I do that before? I feel like I've done no, that. No, we haven't. Don't. We have not done that. Okay. So 
I, as a pop culture aficionado, am going to share uh, different actors, celebrities' names to Mandy, and she's going to tell us if they are from the land of Canada or if they're not. So it's, you don't have to say Canada or Canada don't. I By the way, I'm guessing. I don't actually know. You're guessing. <laughs> you definitely don't know. No, I'm just kidding. You might know some of these. Um, I, I have a few of them. Just say Canada or not. If you, Whatever. Say it however you want to. Keanu okay. Reeves. Okay. How about true or false? Keanu Reeves, is he from Canada? True or false? I'm going to say, yeah, he could be Canadian. He is. He's so nice. Of course he's Canadian. Yeah. yeah, Keanu Reeves is. Okay, next one. Will Arnett. No. Do I need to? No, he's no. Canadian. Really? He's very Canadian. Yeah, big fan oh, of Oh, very. What is very Canadian? What do you he's have to ha- do super to Canadian. get that qualifier? <laughs> well, I listen to him on his podcast and he talks about it all the time. Um, so that's how you get the qualifier in my world. Um, how about Sandra O oh from uh, Grey's Anatomy and lots of other things? Sandra O, oh, yes, Canadian. Very good. Feels like you almost knew that one. Okay, next <laughs> one. <laughs> Christian Bale. Ooh. He's done everything. He can't be Canadian. They can't claim he's him. not. Okay. He, whoa, okay. He's from the UK, actually. See, they can um, claim him. Yeah. How about friend of the show? My words, not hers. Anna Paquin. Yes. She is. Yeah. She is Canadian. Yeah. She seems she, lovely. Too lovely to not be from Canada. Right? And she – I just saw a preview for the new season of Modern Love. It's a show on Prime and she's in it. And I'm so excited to watch it. It's a, hey. it's a fun show. Yeah. All right. How about Rick Moranis? He is the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Honey, I Blew Up the Kids – and also got punched in the face in New York a few months ago, randomly. I d- I d- oh, I don't think he's Canadian. He's maybe very he Canadian. Is. I was going to yes, say, maybe he's he a is. Nice man. Be- Zoe Saldana. Uh, I don't know who that is either. Avatar girl. She's beautiful. Oh. I mean, she's done a million things. Oh, yeah. No, not. You're doing pretty good at this. Yeah, she's from the U.S. Um, Ryan Reynolds. Yes. He is. Do you remember who he was engaged to by chance? He's married to Blake Lively now, but he was engaged to somebody uh, that was don't. very Canadian. I don't know. I don't remember. You ought to know, Mandy. What? I ought to know? No, you ought to know the song. It's Alanis Morissette. Oh. <laughs> I did not know they were engaged. They were. It for was a like short back... time? No, they were together for a long time. It was back whenever he was real. He was on, uh, what was the show? Two Guys, A Girl, and a Pizza Place, which was on Friday nights on ABC. And uh, they were engaged then. Like, it was whenever he was, like, coming up, and she was very popular. Wow. I yeah. did not know that. Look at all the stuff we learn and last before we go. I know. Okay, next one. I'll just do a couple more. How about uh, William Shatner? I'm going to say yes. You're right. Um, <laughs> how about Idris Elba? Yeah, he's Canadian, isn't he? No, he's he's British. I believe he's British. Yeah, he's not from there. All right, I've got two more for you. Seth Rogen. No. Super Canadian. Aww. That's like his whole personality is weed and um. Oh, I was going to say Canada. that's his whole personality. Yeah, I didn't realize Canada was also thrown in there. I think the yeah. other, his other personality um, takes yeah. over. <laughs> yeah, I know. All right, last one. Dwayne The Rock Johnson. The Rock. I'm going to say... I'm going to say he is Canadian. 
Good job. But this was a trick question. He was technically born in the United States, but his dad was a Canadian and he gained Canadian citizenship in oh. 2009. So oh. he would have been right either way. Yay. Yeah. There we go. Fun. That's fun. All fun. I have. Yeah. See, I, I was telling Melissa, I'm terrible. I don't know a lot about celebrities and I don't really know where any of them are from, as it turns out. So this was great. The only one I, I think really, you did great. Yeah. I told Melissa the only one I knew with 100% certainty was that Justin Bieber was from Canada. And I don't even know why. Why I knew that like that's just something it's one of those random things that stuck in my brain but I had no reason to remember yeah well that's how my entire brain works right I have yeah, no exactly. reason to remember the things I remember. the things yeah. I need to remember I cannot remember for the no. life of me but there's I no room all the things. useless stuff yeah exactly <laughs> Before we go, uh, there's a new episode of Criminality out if you want to check it out. It's about the – do you remember this um, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire scandal where the guy was coughing and like that's how he ended he up winning? He was cheating. Yes, he was cheating. They ended up being on like a million reality shows. So Rebecca did that one this week and uh, the link to it's in the show notes. It's a really crazy story. So if you want to check that out, that is where you can find it. Awesome. All right, guys. We will be back next week. Same time, same place, new story. Have a great week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.